0: You're
1: in the Waterloop. Waterloop, Waterloop, Waterloop. Hi, this is Travis with Waterloop. Water conservation is very important to me, and I bet it is to all of you. That's why I have High Sierra Showerheads in my house, and I'm so happy that they're a supporter of this podcast. High Sierra carries the EPA WaterSense label for efficiency and uses 40% less water than conventional low-flow shower heads. The model I have uses just a gallon and a half per minute. And because of their unique nozzle design, it's patented. Nobody else has it. It maximizes efficiency of water and energy and does not compromise on performance. You still get a powerful shower. Use promo code WATERLOOP for 20% off at HighSierraShowerHeads.com. WATERLOOP, WATERLOOP, WATERLOOP. Welcome to WaterLoop. This is Travis, joined from Philadelphia by Howard Newkrug. He is the Executive Director of the Water Center at the University of Pennsylvania. Howard, thanks for coming on the podcast.
2: Well, thank you, Travis. This is great.
1: Yeah, it's good to welcome, be... Welcome, welcome being here. Good to be connected. Um, I've, I've uh, you know watched your work and known about you and everything since back in my days. I was at EPA in D.C. and all that. And, and you've been very active in the Philly area, doing a lot for a long time. Um, we'll dive into that in a minute. But um, why is there always so much water news out of the Philly area? It's like this It's like this center of, of thought yeah. and innovation and, and people just being so proactive on, on water.
2: It, it's so funny, Travis, that you asked me that question, Chris. Uh, I was in Singapore. And I was meeting with Peter Ng, who is, the, who is the CEO of Singapore PUB, their water wastewater utility. And I said, Peter, how come you are so innovative? <laughs> and he said, his response was, Howard, if you had no water, you'd be innovative too. <laughs> uh-huh. So we have water, but we also have pollution. Hmm. And we have an old system. And I don't think we have a choice but to be innovative. Especially if you want to do things that are within uh, a, an economic value that uh, that is affordable to the people of Philadelphia and the region, and 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 I don't mean to speak disparagingly about Philadelphia. This is true as I'm finding all over the country and all over the world.
1: Hmm. Very interesting, and it seems like all the different facets of society in the Philly area are involved. You have the utilities, obviously, you've got the universities, you've got NGOs, you've got foundations, and um, it's like so much effort uh, put into things there. What's the What's the Philly waterscape like, if, for people that might not be familiar with the waterways, the, the pollution situation, and the different big players?
2: Uh, it's, it's interesting. I just read this great book, and I've, I'm using it for my class. It's, uh, it's called uh, 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 Great Cities, Great Water, and mm. it's by a guy named Carl Smith. And um, uh, he talks about he's using three cities and the history of their water systems. And uh, it's Chicago. Boston and Philadelphia. And you look at this and you just go, wow, what, a, what, what an incredible story and how different each of these three cities during the same era of the mid 1800s approached their water issues. And unfortunately for Philadelphia, it did not follow the pattern of let's say a New York City which was to grab hold of a water system, a watershed upstate and make it into a protected area. Uh, in Philly, we have run of river. So we take what comes downstream, we're at the down end of the Delaware River and the Schuylkill, which is the largest tributary to the Delaware, after us, after, after it leaves the Philadelphia area, um, where it's really going into the Delaware Estuary, Delaware Bay and the Atlantic Ocean. Uh, you have a very large amount of commerce. You have uh, uh, industrial pollution from the turn of the century. You know we have just about everything, mm. and uh, and we've prided ourselves for years, really through the whole 20th century, in our ability to treat anything,
0: mm. and
2: that was our our innovations were really like how do we how do we always provide high quality safe drinking water for Philadelphians. Um, using using our, our own technologies and tweaking them and understanding. So we've always had that that urge to, to investigate further. Mm. Um, of course, as we moved into the late... Tell me if I'm going too far, but you got... Oh, my no, no, up. go for it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and late 1950s, you know, uh, uh, and certainly in 1972, the Clean Water Act, and 74, the, the Safe Drinking Water Act, and uh, the this a uh, really special thing that happened uh, that i call the the big change for the us and water which was the last time the federal government supplied federal funding significant federal funding into the water business was with the construction grants program of the clean water act and between the 1980 and and the year 2000 everything changed mm. everything changed about what was considered quality uh, treatment what was considered uh, ex- acceptable and and reachable in the rivers and streams and uh, it's been really miraculous and I really I hope the federal government takes this on again because because there is uh, there is real hope for big change yet to come in the water wastewater stormwater business uh, and our rivers and streams uh if the funding's there. And funding seems to turn out to be the
1: whole big right crux of the problem. But I know that everybody that's in the water sector is constantly telling the federal government and all levels of government elected officials, like, look at the return on investment. If you invest in water, uh, what comes back to communities, to quality of life, to public health, to local economies I mean it's it's really just the projects themselves are incredible economic drivers and everybody's been yelling that for a while uh, you know to Congress and so there's, there's an opportunity there hopefully something happens one of the other things that I think um, Philly's really known for is its push on green infrastructure um, you know it's been more aggressive on that front than any other city in the country really um, why is that and and how's that gone
2: Ah, uh, that is that is a very very special story and near and dear to my heart because uh, uh, it was the mid '90s and I was uh, trying to figure out how do you take the utility to the next level, and this is uh, and today we're still doing these kinds of things. We're calling utility of the future, and uh, we're working on renewable resources and and uh, uh, you know and, and so forth. Uh, but it was the mid '90s and. I, and and I worked for a utility that was a drinking water utility, a wastewater utility and a stormwater utility. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but they were all they, they were all together. I mean it was only one boss, but they were very siloed. And they were siloed because um, you know, Clean Water Act, Safe Drinking Water Act was siloed. EPA became siloed. and then the state DEPs became siloed and then the utilities. Approached this from a very siloed uh, perspective. We had experts in each, and uh, I wanted to start to bring them together. And I uh, was working on different ways of thinking about it, and came up with. Uh, Item wasn't wasn't mine originally, of course, because people have been doing this for for a hundred years. Is uh, we called it back then total water management. It's now called integrated water management. Uh, the newest term is one water. It's all the same thing. It's all about. Um, you know how do you connect everything together? And and the very first step, which is thanks to uh, EPA and uh, and work that happened under the last administration, uh, the, the concept of being able to take just two simple things: uh, wet weather from combined sewers and wet weather from from separate sewers, and be able to when you're when a city's planning on how to manage these these old systems that that weren't designed exactly the way they need to be today. Um, how do you spend your money? How do you prioritize? And allowing the integration of those two systems and the integration of the money you're going to spend on those in order to get the best return. And so we were looking at that in the 1990s and uh, uh, came up with this idea of a water office of watersheds. Hmm. And went around. I, I had business cards made up. It took about two years with my commissioner at the time who said, Howard, this is, to, this is really... This, I really like this idea, but it's a little vague. Hmm. It's a little fuzzy. What exactly are you going to do? <laughs> and, <laughs> and I didn't know, but I just knew it was the right, the right approach to take. And, and so I had the cards made up, uh, Howard Newkrog, director of the Office of Watersheds. And I started handing them out to people. And, uh, uh, do you, uh, and Travis, do you know what people ask me?
1: What's a watershed?
2: What So, yes, what's a watershed? <laughs> it was 1998, 1999, and the common, uh, you didn't learn this in school, and people did not really know what a watershed was. And you think about that today in 2020 and how much progress we've made and how silly it is, even if I go to a fifth grader mm. uh, and <laughs> talk about watersheds, to think that they may not n- understand what that means. So, anyway, we, we put together our Drinking Water Source Program, uh, source protection program, which we hadn't had prior to that. We brought together our combined sewer overflow program or stormwater program. And, uh, we started having all these folks and, uh, and public affairs, of course. And, uh, we started to have all these folks work together in the same office. Mm.
0: Yeah.
2: And it was two years. One of the, one of the smartest people in the water industry is, uh, this guy named Chris Crockett. He was my deputy for, for any number of years and now works at essential utilities. And, uh, Hi Chris.
0: Uh,
2: <laughs> he um uh you know, really the smartest smartest guy in 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 the industry and in 2001 or so he came running into my office and said, "Howard, Howard, I finally understand why you have the CSO director sitting next to the uh, the source water protection director." <laughs> I get it. Right, right. And, but it was. It did take time to understand that the two industries, the two separate issues, are are very separate. Yeah. Are, are, yeah. are are very separate, but they are the same. It's all about water. Water is the universal connector.
1: Sure. Yeah. So um, a few years ago, after you know all your time at, at Philadelphia Water, you transitioned over to become the executive director of the Water Center at, at University of Pennsylvania. Um, was that what two years ago, a year ago, right in that?
2: Um, no, I, uh, I left in 2016 and left oh. with uh, my mayor, Mayor Nutter at the end of his administration Okay. after 30, 38 years with Billy water.
1: Wow. Um, yeah, that's amazing. So how, how has that transition been for you?
2: Um, now it's great. <laughs> uh, it was a nightmare for, for, for me for the first two years trying to understand, I thought I was just going to go to this university and, uh, I you know I knew all the bureaucracy because I grew up in in city government so <laughs> what could possibly be harder? <laughs> well, at the academic world's a little bit harder with the bureaucracy and and it's very different. It's uh you know the 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 rules and challenges are very different than than government sure. bureaucracies, and uh, so it took a took a long time to figure this out. And again, you know fuzzy, vague, what are you going to do? Fuzzy, vague, I want to start. I came to Penn because uh, Penn offered me the opportunity to start a water center
0: yeah. at the
2: university. And uh, uh, Penn, I know, has so many incredibly brilliant people from all different areas of, of you know, whether you go to warden or the engineering school or law school um, or the, just the arts and sciences groups. Um, there's so much knowledge there, so many brilliant people. And there's very there was there was very little water work coming out. Hmm. Water was not a focus of, of the university. And at um, being a graduate of that school, um, and with all this water knowledge that I had, hmm. I wanted to I wanted to change that. I wanted to make Philadelphia a hub for research and education and work with, because you know it's not just Philly. Uh, it's our Philadelphia region. It's you know it goes up to New York City, down to Washington D.C. Uh, it's, it's got uh, the public, the big public utilities, and uh, uh, for those cities, and Baltimore I shouldn't leave out Baltimore, yeah. and uh, also the privates, you know, essential utilities, one of the biggest uh, American Water, mm-hmm. uh, one of the biggest, mm-hmm. and uh, Suez. Well, again, one of the biggest, all in the you know within within fifty hundred miles of, of Philadelphia. There, there, yeah, exactly
1: a- that that point again. There's so much water, brain power in that in that Greater Philly region. It's unbelievable. So what? So the Water Center. What is it's, the Water Center? What are your focus areas? What are you doing there?
2: Oh, well, that was that was my first problem because <laughs> my my idea was that I would just continue all the different things I was doing at Philly Water and all the things I learned and start to. Do, uh, develop uh, research activities based on that, and uh, it became too broad and too too big so we we really started thinking about well, we know we want to do applied research. Mm. you know we're not doing the academic research because that's not me, that's not my background. That's not where I think the help is needed within the water industry today. I think it's a, it's all about how do you apply science, technology, and policy to help solve the real problems on the ground, principally in the U.S., but also globally. Okay. So uh, uh, we've taken that that position, and uh, we've went out there and started looking at my, my my first project that we had at the Water Center was uh, uh, came from the Mott Foundation through uh, friends at the Mayor's Innovation Program <laughs> and um, uh, uh, Satya, who who ran that MIP program. Is now the uh, mayor of Madison, Wisconsin, Haida, Haida Satya. Uh, yeah. and she and she, you know, she understood very well the politics of, of government, and uh, she called on me because I understood utilities, and we got to uh, we got some some funding from the Mott Foundation to look at uh, five cities uh, and examine them in the in the Midwest, and to examine them uh, compa- and compare it to Flint. Are there more Flint's out there? Was basically the project. Mm. Uh, you know, and uh, so we got it was it was really a nice partnership. It was like it was uh, the politics, community, and the water system. And we went out there, and, we, and you know, I, you know, we'd go on tours of the of the facilities and uh, speak to all you know, speak to different levels of management. And um, uh, it was very interesting, and it was very uplifting and seeing the incredible people who work in the water business throughout the Midwest and throughout. Throughout the world, and how passionate and experienced they are, and it was also very sad because everywhere we went, we saw that they were uh, well, some things were very innovative and very good. There were other things that were not so good, and in different cities, it was different issues. So,
1: what was uh, the uh, what was the answer to that question? Are there more flints out there? Uh, obviously, you know, lead. There's lead pipes all over the country, millions of them, right? And uh, they are kept at bay, if you will, through corrosion control and other stuff. Um, Flint, there's a, a lot of circumstances that played into that budget constraints and emergency managers and people that don't under, didn't understand really how to deal with water and, and kind of turning a, a blind eye and putting their head in the sand, all that kind of stuff. Um, but, but what did, what did you all find when you, when you looked to see if other cities were in the same situation or could, could stumble into that?
2: Um, yeah, I found that, uh, Basically, I, you know, one of the things that we looked at was uh, uh, the report card that uh, uh, American Society of Civil Engineers puts out every year for every two years, uh, looking at the water systems, and they gave us a D D+. Mm. And now that I'm in an academic setting, <laughs> I, I started to think about what, that's, what does that even mean? And I started to make my own scale of what, what's an A+, plus
0: mm.
2: and what's an F? Mm. So Flint, during their crisis, was an F. They failed. Okay. Uh, and a D to me is just above that. You're almost failing. You could fail. You could fail. Hopefully you don't and you stay above that. So a D plus is like pretty close to, uh, you know, to failure. Uh, and I started looking at what an A plus is, you know, innovative utility that has protected sources and, you know, and, and uh, modern treatment, wastewater treatment, and doesn't have flooding. <laughs> it doesn't, you know, and, and no one had it. And I asked my friend, George Hawkins from D.C. Water, uh, uh, you know, said, well, where, where would you, and I showed him the whole scale, <laughs> with the descriptors next to it, and I said, it, you know, you got you got to be an A utility. And he looked at and said, no, no, we're innovative in some areas, and we're doing really, really well, but uh, we have some other areas that uh, are still a little soft. Mm. I'd give us a, a, a B minus C plus.
1: Mm. wow.
2: And then you start thinking about, and you start looking at, you know, the U.S. water systems from that kind of perspective, of you know, from the professional perspective, looking in and understanding how it is the essential workers, it is the it is the experts, the the guys and women who have been there for thirty years, uh, <laughs> who are really keeping the water flowing uh, and flowing well in, in the United States, and we've had very few flints. Yeah. Um, and, and I think uh, you know, my message is to you know, is to is to help reverse that so that that does not happen
1: again. Sure. Well, you you know, you mentioned this applied science, and you men- mentioned research and and kind of the the urban area. So, urban water research is this focus. Why is that so urgently needed right now?
2: Um, uh, it's needed because of all of the things, you know, some of the things that we, we've already talked about, but it's, you know, the, the, the very base issue is the aging infrastructure is the fact that in the United States, you know, except for the, the, the most, the newest cities, the, uh, most modern cities, the richest cities in the U S, uh, the water systems are a hundred years old, sometimes 150 years old. And, uh, uh, you know, we're using, uh, you know, the last time in Philadelphia that the drinking water technology was changed was the 1950s. Hmm. And you go across the country, you see these same rapid sand filtration plants all over. And they're all great, but they're all getting old. And there's a big question about what do you do next? Hmm. And, and uh, you see that everywhere. And there's deferred maintenance. That's it's happened that everyone knows about.
1: Sure. Weren't, uh Didn't I see a story within the past year or so about wooden pipes being unearthed in the Philly area? Is that is that right?
2: Yes, people love that. People love that. <laughs> the wood. The, you mentioned wood pipes, and I, you know, I, I have one. You can't see it. It's a um, when you when you leave as commissioner from from Philly Water, you get a clock that's made out of a, an old wood pipe. <laughs> uh, certainly, I mean, there was a, you know when the systems were first built in, in Philadelphia in the eighteen fifties, it was mostly eighteen twenties. It was all trees that were hollowed out and made into pipes. And there was a little leakage going on. But also, they were very strong and very good. And as long as they were kept wet, which they were, uh, they, they lasted. And uh, uh, the, the interesting thing that, that people in the business know is that when you go and you do a water main relay, you're not removing the old pipe. You're leaving it there on the ground and you're building a new pipe next to it. Oh. And that's true with the cast iron pipes that everyone's been replacing. But it was also true with the wood pipe. So you see a lot of stories about uh people unearthing wood pipe and the the, the one in Philadelphia was uh it was not it was not in service. Hmm. <laughs> it was uh it was just uh one of those pipes and, and if you and if one wanted to unearth uh. wood pipes, you could probably uh look through some uh uh historical documents and be able to find them all over. Uh, the older cities in uh, U.S.
1: Oh, very, very interesting. Um, you, you talked a bit about why watershed management is important. Um, another thing I noticed that you all talk about at the Water Center is, is stakeholder engagement, um, and I wanted to hear kind of why that's important and, and what you're looking at uh, on that front.
2: Oh my gosh, and, and you know, and and so much has changed in the last couple of months. Uh, you know, COVID, the economics, and then. George Floyd, I mean, like, oh my gosh, and the, um, you know, and, and re uh, introspection of oneself, of who they are, what they're doing, what's, what's, you know, what systemic racism, what, what internal racism have I, without knowing, you know, and and everyone else. And you look at this and say, you look at diversity, uh, the inclusion, the equity issues, and, I'm really glad because the last couple of years that most of the projects worked on included very much issues of equity and affordability within how do you run a water system? Uh, how do you deal with the issue that everyone has the human rights to water? Mm. Um, and and uh, what do you do with people who can't afford to pay and all those issues? But uh, uh, now we're going to take that even a step further. We're talking about that internally now is how you do that. And but very much it's about the stakeholders. Mm. It's about understanding that water is, you know, water is global, but solutions to water is very local. Um, uh, it's very, you know, one of the reasons why there's still so many issues is because every community, whether it's a community of a hundred people or, or a million people, uh, have a series of their own unique issues with their own set of unique solutions that need to go with it. Um, and uh, uh, nothing is more important and making sure that especially if you're from the University of Pennsylvania and you're working let's say in an area like Pittsburgh or or wherever or or Flint uh, um, what do you, you know that you first understand and respect uh, the community who's out there, what they want, what are their priorities, and how much of what you're doing fits their priorities, and how do you make this all work together and that becomes a really critical critical element in all this because Whatever you do, you're spending a lot of money, mm-hmm. and you're focusing an awful lot of attention on one thing, and uh, and you have to wonder whether, always wonder whether it's the right thing. We we I uh, was at a groundbreaking, uh, this, this commissioner of really water of a of a vacant lot that we turned into a rain garden with a gazebo and a mural, and it was really beautiful, and uh, um, uh, it cost half a million dollars. We fixed up the, the rec center next door also. We had money from uh, EPA, put in 150,000. We put in the affiliate water, put in 150,000, and uh, a nonprofit put in 150,000. And um, I got up there and I started being heckled uh, by the by the community. And there were so many things that I learned at that moment. Wow. One was that the block captains who we've been working with, nobody liked. Them. <laughs> no, they were not really speaking for the community. Uh, and that's who we've been talking to for the previous year and a half before we did this project. And uh, and uh, the people that were speaking up were saying, look around. We, you know, we have kids that were afraid to let them go to school in the morning, to get on the school bus. We don't know if they're going to come back. This vacant lot was filled with drug people. What are you, how are you going to keep the drug people away now? You know, and all these things they said, it's wonderful that you guys spent half a million dollars in our community, and we're not begrudging you that. But you know, all the if you just asked us, what could you do with that half million dollars? There would be so many different answers. And uh, so, from a community standpoint, you know, how do you how do you balance that with our direct? Because we have very specific directives of hmm. Clean Water Act, Safe Drinking Water Act. Uh, consent orders, and this and that. And meanwhile, you're working in communities that uh, have their own set of issues and their own set of priorities, and they may seem different, like crime, Hmm. or education, Hmm. policing, uh, race, uh, jobs, poverty, I mean, all these things. Um, But if you want to be successful in the water world, you got to understand how water fits into that. And that's why uh, I think I never answered your question before about green infrastructure uh, <laughs> that's where green infrastructure really comes in because that is very much a utility community effort and if the utility goes in we learn lessons too and and does makes changes in the community uh, you know you got to make sure that you're following what the community wants you have to you have to be able to hire people from the community who can help uh, educate and facilitate discussions among among the neighbors and understand what the options are, and you need to hire people from the community who are going to actually uh, do the work, design the work, do the work, maintain, operate the systems after they're built. And uh, it's all continuum that uh, we have not yet perfected in mm-hmm. Philly or anywhere, as far as I know. But is is something that we all need to be continually aware of and move mm-hmm. towards.
1: Yeah, well, that's a really uh, powerful and perfect example. Uh, that story you just told to illustrate why stakeholder engagement is so important and needs to be expanded and enriched uh, definitely. Um, turning a bit to faculty and staff of the water center. Could you talk about kind of the the team that you have there and and how they contribute to the to the work that's going on?
2: Yes, it's. Uh, I, I hired my first employee huh? two years ago, <laughs> uh, and uh, she was a student of mine, and uh, uh, we brought her on full-time, and uh, uh, since then, we now have a staff of, of, of six full-time employees, uh, and uh, 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 plus we have uh, three or four senior advisors who are helping us, and we have a couple of senior fellows and so we're you know, growing <laughs> our team now but i'd say right now we're you know our our universe is about uh, 18 people or so as you start to look at our you know people we're bringing in to support us in different different projects mm. uh it's uh it's a wonderful mix of 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 students recent grass um people have been in the fields like myself for years uh who uh, have retired, and uh, my uh, director of, of research. Uh, he was, uh, uh, you know, he worked for years in risk management and finished his career at a major insurance company, doing, running their global risk management uh, uh, operations.
0: Hmm.
2: He decided that that was too much because of the travel, et cetera, and uh, he decided to retire at an earlier age and come to Penn. Hmm. and get a master's in environmental studies degree and then figure out what he wants to do and uh, uh, i I caught him pretty early on and uh, brought him into into our group and now he's he's one of our top leaders of course and uh, um, coming from a very different perspective but loving water
0: hmm.
2: all of a sudden you know, you get you know you somehow whatever reason people get passionate about water uh, but so he took all this knowledge that he had from this totally different Different business, yeah, and has applied it to water, and it's and it's really it's really remarkable to see what what he's done with it. And the same with my uh, 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 chief operations officer, who she was choosing uh, in pharmaceuticals, also <laughs> change of change of career, you know, into middle age and same to go. She went back to school and uh, went to Penn get her MBS degree, and she uh, I met her for the first time when she was uh, just graduating. And she wanted to ask me some questions about her, her capstone, which is like a thesis. And um, um, Chris really struck it out. We struck very well and uh, mm-hmm. brought her on too. So our, our leadership team is very much has many, many years of experience. And that's really helped because, you know, it's hard to start something new uh, with no funding with very little funding. <laughs> And and to grow it and to get a reputation and uh, and to move forward and we've been very very fortunate from uh, um, foundations we're mostly getting our money from uh, um, uh, philanthropies mm-hmm. uh, including uh, yeah yeah including the Heinz Foundation and well, William it's, Penn Foundation yeah.
1: it's good Go for, it's good for water to have people come in from from other fields and other disciplines that have you know uh, a, a different perspective a different way of thinking and that helps fuel the the innovation and creativity that's kind of needed for sure so y- you all do projects and research um, I want to ask about that in a second but the students it's also there's also kind that's,
0: of yes, a curric- yes. <laughs> a, 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 there's like
1: a curriculum that um, that's out there that, yes. that that students can take and kind of be part of the water center through that.
2: Yes, yes. And, and uh, thank you, because I, I, I have not yet mentioned like <laughs> one of the most important and vital things of all this, which is the next generation water leaders. It's, uh, you know, who are they? Where are they? Um, and, and when I started teaching, I've been teaching at Penn for uh, a dozen years or so, so I was doing it when I was at Philly Water. And, uh, um, you know, about six years ago, that I got a, I got an email from from this young woman who had taken my class. And was now working for Suez in Paris,
0: mm-hmm.
2: and
1: <laughs> not bad. Six
2: month internship, yeah. Six month right. internship, but, you know. I was Still, a, I was a start and she wrote to me. And she said, "Howard, thank you. I knew when I went to college that I can become a lawyer, I can become an engineer, I can become a, a professor, but I never knew I could become a, a, a water professional. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just never even. So that's I the mean, best." Yeah. It is. It's, it's the best, and uh, and uh, what what I'm seeing happen with the water center is very much more and more people are recognizing this as a as a industry as a profession uh, where they can uh, make money, follow their passion, mm-hmm. use their expertise, and hopefully change the world a little bit.
1: And I think that's one thing that's really uh, popular with younger people, you can't just say millennials anymore. You have to say generation Z too, right? Um, is they a lot of them are looking for a way to make an impact and make, and make a difference, not just get a check. And I think that that's the appeal of, of water is it's so important in so many ways. Um, so what are some, cl- what are some classes that, that you teach or that, you know, are part of the water center curriculum, if you will?
2: Sure. Uh, well, I I started off teaching a course called Green City Clean Water, which was basically was easy for me to teach because I was doing it in, <laughs> at Philadelphia Water, and uh, I've evolved that class over time. It's now called the role of of cities, uh, the role. I'm sorry, <laughs> the role of water in creating sustainable and resilient cities. Okay. And uh, you know, so it's very much a lot of the things that we've talked about. And, uh, I also teach a course on. Uh, the U.S. and global water industry in the 21st century,
0: uh-huh.
2: and and I just did this, this special little summer course on this, you know, uh, on the history of water in three cities and and how that reflects on today. And uh, it was quite uh, it was quite interesting to see some of the uh, uh, things that have not changed uh, mm-hmm. since that time, and uh, who is making the decisions uh, <laughs> at that time and. Who makes the decisions today about water systems
1: yeah yeah uh last thing i just wanted to ask you is again on that that projects and research you know you mentioned kind of one of the early ones are there some other favorites uh that have happened in the past couple of years that you'd like to talk about or mention
2: yeah i well, um, uh, i work in pittsburgh and with the heinz foundation and um, they've really given us a, a lot of latitude. They, um, I've, I've worked with the Heinz Foundation in the past, so that's how they knew of us and they also like the idea of, of, of an outside entity coming in and helping helping the, uh, the environmental organizations in the uh, 10 state 10 county Southwest Pennsylvania region. Uh, how do they work together? How do they form uh, a network? Of environmental organizations focused on water issues, and how do they support each other? So we've been, uh, you know, through coronavirus, we've been using we've been using a great process of Zoom with some great, great uh, support from some people who really understood how to how to convert the knowledge from uh, or the convert the conversation from a room full of people <laughs> to uh, <laughs> using breakout groups and things like that. And uh, uh, we'll co- we we'll have a lot of support in this whole effort of, of of trying to see how do you how do you go to that next level? How do you bring people together and educate them and work together? How do you create a vision? You know, one of the problems with Pittsburgh is there's no general vision of what should be with the three rivers. And there's uh, and when we went to EPA, I said, no, you were at EPA,"
0: mm-hmm.
2: um, and they, you know, I was asking them what they're doing in Pittsburgh, and well, we're doing a consent order. Pittsburgh. Uh,
1: <laughs> that's the solution yeah
2: and, and they, say, they say we would love to work in pittsburgh but you know the chesapeake has a plan mm. we know what they want from us mm. the delaware has a plan the susquehanna has a plan we they know we know what they want we don't there is no real plan for the three rivers and so using that very much as a as a hallmark of of where i hope we're headed here is to create that vision Mm. Uh, of this incredible space that has so much water. And uh, uh, with that, uh, we're also doing a, uh, 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 you know, helping them with data management, centralizing the data from 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 the Allegheny and the Mon and the Ohio rivers and working with them to uh, identify next generation water leaders,
0: mm.
2: environmental leaders, and helping them uh, understand leadership and, and uh, politics. And uh, we're also working individually in small cities um, we've we're in one right now we're about to approach a second uh, we're hoping to do three or four or five different small townships some with uh, dilapidated sewer systems some with uh, drinking water quality problems uh, all with very little money mm. and all with uh, um, uh, people living on the margins mm. and how do you, you know how do you correct that and So far, we're seeing you have to correct it one on one, but uh, I'm hoping that uh, between the work that a lot of folks, good lot of good folks, are doing now um, uh, across the country, that we'll figure out on a larger, more wholesale basis how do you help all these small systems out there.
1: Yeah. Very, very interesting. It's uh, There's so many NGOs. There's so many environmental groups everywhere, right? And they're all, they're all kind of doing their own thing. And I yeah, imagine if they can kind of come together and get that synergy and leverage their resources and contacts and everything. I know uh, like in the Chesapeake, there's so many NGOs. And I'm, I'm, a number of years ago, they uh, Choose Clean Water Coalition formed, I think. Mm-hmm. And they, they kind of serve as a hub for a lot of NGOs to kind of you know, get some collective direction going. So right. I, I look, for, right. I look forward to hearing the vision that comes about for for that region and, and following up on it. Um, sure. Well, Howard, uh, I'm glad we caught up. I, I appreciate it. I hope uh, post coronavirus to swing through Philly and uh, see the see the river <laughs> and see and come by the Water Center. But I, I appreciate your time so much.
2: Sure. Uh, it was good talking to you. And uh you know if you ever want to give me a call without the microphones on and uh I'd be happy to talk to you further. <laughs> all right.
1: Thanks, Howard. <laughs> so, all
2: right, thank you. Okay, bye-bye. Waterloop, Waterloop, Waterloop.
1: The Waterloop Podcast is brought to you by High Sierra Showerheads, the smart and stylish way to save water, energy, and money while enjoying a powerful shower. Use promo code Waterloop for twenty percent off at high
0: you're in the water loop.